paid good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. And for those Jewish people in the audience, Merry, Merry Christmas. The fabulous Lady Bunny. Go to hell! Oh my God, it's how many hoes? Miss Jackie Beans. Liberace Chicken. Evie Harris. Jesus Christ. Oh my God, it's Tam Horner. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking with writer and media personality Bruce Falanche, all about a holiday special from Scott Rocket, Making the Yuletide Gay, a very special Paul Lind Christmas, in which Michael Arrington plays Paul Lind, who plays host to a bevy of special guests who stop by his house for a cocktail, a song, and a few corny jokes. It's now available via DVD and VOD. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. When I was growing up, there were people like Charles Nelson Riley and Liberace and Paul Lind, who I just knew were different, but they were all these big personalities, and they were on my TV every single week. Right. Did you have folks like that when you were growing up? Yeah, there were people in the movies. There was Don Knotts, and there was Wally Cox, and Wally Cox, I think, was gay, but Don Knotts was there were the character actors in movies like Franklin Pangborn and Edward Everett Horton. We used to call them the fruity tenor, but that was the love interest. Clearly was not a love interest. But they, it got, with television, it got, it got a little bolder. The idea was always the same. The idea was people who got it laughed. People who, oh, aren't they funny and eccentric? And everybody knew you just, this was the thing you just didn't talk. It was in everybody's family. Nobody really uh, recognized it. So, you know, changed with AIDS, basically. First Stonewall and then AIDS. We didn't have those kinds of stereotypes. I went on Hollywood Squares. It was post-Ellen. And so I said, references to a romantic life, but it's going to be a gay romantic life. And they were, that scared them a lot. Right. Because Ellen told them that too. She said, when I, once I come out, I'm still going to be about a, a woman looking for love, but I'm going to be looking for love places where you don't want to know about. And six minutes later, she was off the air. So, but I was just flavor in squares. And I, as, as interesting to Whoopi had gotten, I got a memo saying, you're, have to be so gay. And she said, I got a memo. Do I have to, do you have to be so black? <laughs> like that. But those were. They always were there, the Rip Taylors and 
than Richard Simmons, of course, I was part of that generation already. Well, the, also Paul and Rip and Charles Nelson Rock and uh, Billy Gilbert. And there were a few others who were kind of flamers, light in the loafer, as they would say. They were ahead of me. When did you first meet Paul Lind? Was it working on the special or before that? He was on Donnie and Marie. I met him on Donnie and Marie. He had failed sitcom and they were paying him off by having him as a regular on the Donnie and Marie show, even and paying him as if it was his own special. They was making a fortune. Wow. Make him work hard, but he was making a fortune. He was also our Uncle Arthur on Bewitched. And he was very Hollywood Square. So he was raking it in. And that's when I met him, and we got friendly on that, as friendly as you could get with him. He had very few close friends, so he kept very close to the best. And he was a mean drunk. He was, he'd get one drink, he was hilarious, and two drinks, it was the Nazi high command. Yeah, he was just, he became very unpleasant. People didn't hang around him. Yeah, he was, and he was not a happy guy. He was. He was happiest when the light was on and he was working everything else. And you could just see there a, a great interview on the show with John Carson. And you see just how uncomfortable he is talking about himself. And Carson is asking these safe questions, but about his early career when it was all in New York in the village acting and out in, in piano bars and gay places. And he was very uncomfortable talking. He did talk about it. He didn't hide it or pretend it didn't happen, but he was just never. How was it writing for him? It was funny because I guess we were on the same wavelength. I played to his strengths. I knew the thing is he could make any line funny just by reading it. In the Halloween special, he says, oh, you and your dog, Toto. Who says Toto like Toto? He could make reading a phone book. He could make funny, but that didn't last long. You had to move on to something else because once you laughed at it, you could laugh, you would laugh at a few things. Then he had to go away from him and come back. So he was what I call a flavor was why squares worked so brilliantly for him. It would come to him two or three times in, in each episode and he would do a zinger and he would kill. And then they were on to somebody else. When he was in the center square, of course, they get called on more just because of the math of tic-tac-toe is tic-tac-toe. So you have to eventually hit work with the center square. But it was a perfect vehicle for him. He, he did plays where, where he would find a play that was written for somebody else, a comic play, and he would be the lead. And the crowd that was coming to see him loved him in that. But he could never parlay that into Broadway or anything like that. It was strictly for the provinces. He was not the center when he tried to be the center of something. It didn't work except specials because he was special. And you know, he, the, the more thematic the show, the easier it was to write for him. Where did making the Yuletide gay come from? Oh, you done the, we done the Paul and Halloween special and somebody, Scott Rocket, the producer said to me, we should do a Paul Lynn Christmas special. And I said, well, there was a Paul Lynn Christmas special. So it was called, was the night before Christmas, but it was Paul. He wasn't exactly Scrooge, but he was sitting around the house and all these various stars visited him in different guises and kind of came and went. I don't know why our show, which was the Paul in Halloween special stuck in the internet 
it became an internet thing because it was so unusual. And, and he was already, and it was a big ratings thing because he was already a witch. He was Uncle Arthur on Bewitched, so he was already pre-tested as a witch. So that worked, worked really well. But Scott said we should do a, something like that for Christmas. So that's a great idea. We would do a Christmas special, the one he never could do because he could never do the, make the Yuletide gay. He could never come out. So it was like, this is what he would have done. And everybody on it, of course, is dead. And they're all gay icons and they're all dead, except for B. Arthur, who's, who's a gay icon and is dead. She wasn't gay. But the others, Liberace, Salminio, Hunter. And of course, we have some invented characters who are iconic gay characters, Evie Harris, which who Jack Plotnick plays. And they all visit him on Halloween, on Christmas, just like the last show. The doorbell rings and Lady Bunny is there singing a filthy Christmas carol on the doors. Lady Bunny is like the Paul Lynn flavor. Comes in, does a line, kills, gets out. The whole idea of it. We, did, we shot it a year ago and it was on, I think, one of RuPaul's went away pretty unnoticed. But this year, Amazon picked, haven't looked at it lately to see if there are jokes that are hideously out of order. Maybe a joke about somebody who was alive then and isn't anymore. Those things you get caught in, you have a long lead to show. But I, so far, there's been no moral outrage. So <laughs> I guess there's none of that. One never knows, do what. From what I understand, Michael Arrington's been doing a Paul Lind for 20 years. Long time, yeah. How is it to work with him, having worked with the real Paul Lind and working with him who's been doing pollen for so long he's got it down i met him years ago he'd been doing a pollen show in vegas and he asked me to write for it and i couldn't do it i was doing a bunch of other stuff and i as enticing it is to write in paul's voice i wasn't able to do it and so this is fun to actually revisit all of that and it's he's an iconic character as himself and he's one of those people that they don't make a lot of anymore who has big, bold-lettered characteristics that an Impressionist can do. And they, it's hard to do Tom Holland. story. It's hard to come out and do any of the current movie stars. It's hard to come out and be Liam Hemsworth. They don't have those wonderful, quirky characteristics that the Golden Age stars and Paul does. So it's, he can latch on. It's, it's fun to recreate it. But so many of those people that you mentioned, the Salminios, Tab Hunters, they all had yeah. those qualities, which I agree with you. We just don't have that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they did. But they, they were much lower walk. They were after. They were not. Tab did musicals, principally Damn Yankees, because that was his, one of his movies. But he would do that on a lot of stock production. Sal, not some. In fact, I thought it was a stretch. We had David Hernandez from American Idol playing Sal. I thought it was a stretch to have Sal do a musical number because I don't know that many remembers any musical numbers from Sal Mineo pictures or that he was in. But why not? A lot of times back then, people did specials so they could show that side of themselves. They wanted to show you that. They were more than just the thing they were doing on TV every week. They had these other talents. 
It was what we went in with saying, here's Sal showing us his little known talents, which were, of course, gay talents, gay exploited talents, right. singing, dancing, having chorus boys behind them, all of that. And Tab, of course, did have hit singles, and, but he was gorgeous and very low key. And so that thing that he does is relatively quiet. It's Spencer Day, who's a, a great, a true jazz vocalist who has a real, a lot of credit in the jazz world. And so it was wonderful that he was actually creating character, Tab Hunter, variety performer. <laughs> was the inclusion of B. Arthur, was that a nod to your Star Wars holiday special? Yeah, of course, it always comes up. It was also because there, he beat us such a fabulous B. Arthur. And of course, she is. That would be who he would have on the show back then. She was Maud back then. Just like when we had her on Star Wars, she was Maud, which is why she was on, because the network wanted to plug her other shows. There is perceived wisdom. We all know that she's also Dorothy Zaborna, Golden Girl, and all of that, but and Vera Charles, Mame. So she comes loaded with all of that information that we know. It's not in the show, but at the time, she was Maud. I didn't realize, this is going to sound horribly stereotypical, but I didn't realize how popular Golden Girls is amongst gay people. Just, we went to a drag trivia and it was all Golden Girls trivia and we got blown out of the water. Back in the day, Logo was riding higher than it is now. The number one show was RuPaul and the number two was Golden Girl. Back when RuPaul left, Viacom moved RuPaul over the VH1. Golden Girls became their number one show and probably still is the number one. They, they run a lot of Will and Grace. That might have shifted, but people, they love that show. Golden Girls is beloved, as in B. Arthur, and as in really love. So it just, and it also, it crosses. It's not just a gay thing, obviously. In fact, they had, they told some gay stories in the course of the series. But it was not about that. It was, it was about extended family, which a lot of gay people have and get. And it was also for conventional families. And everybody has a funny old lady in the family. And they were all, they were types. There was the, the dumb one. There was the smart one. There was the slutty one. There were the old one. Everybody <laughs> has that in their family. So yeah. I love this whole idea of it being this almost lost special that you just right. uncovered from the archives. Exactly. It looks good considering it was done on a yeah. budget. Whole and Halloween special took us a week to shoot. If you've ever seen it, but they built a house with an elevator in it. The lady in the cage or Rocky Horror elevator that we used. That was all like expensive stuff. And we brought a gigantic Peterbilt truck crashing through a wall during one number. It was expensive. This yeah. is logs and scotch tape. But it really does. It looks great under the light. <laughs> it's white and so you can put all those Christmas colors against it and everything. Else. So what have you been working on lately? Wrote a book about all this, which will be out next year. It's, and it comes from podcasts like this, where I had to explain how these things got made. How did the Star Wars, how did the Paul and Halloween, how did the Brady Bunch write? So it's a book about those adventures. It's called, It Seemed Like a Bad Idea at the Time will be out next year and I'm, uh, I'm currently footnoting it and contemplating what the cover will look like. I have publishers and I are constantly huddling. 
And then I wrote a musical with Dolly Parton, which is using her catalog, which we did in five regional theaters across the country. And we will now take to the UK. We'll open it in Leeds in May and toured for six months and opened in the West End in London. It's called Here You Come Again, How, which sounds like a porno, but it's mine. <laughs> How Dolly Saved My Life in 12 Easy Songs. And it's a small show. It's two characters and five musicians. And uh, it has a gay element in it. How is she to work with? Is she as genuine well, as you she is? Between you know, doing a staging a moonwalk and curing cancer. And she's the busiest person on the planet. Her interests run across them. They run from philanthropic things like the Moderna vaccine and to and literacy in school to, to selling t-shirts that say, what would Dolly do? She's got running a theme park, which basically is her whole family's on the payroll. So doesn't have to think about that. It's so far ranging, but this does take up her time. And when I said, I'm amazed you had time for this, she said, I don't have kids. She's got, she's had plenty of old nieces and nephews and all that. It is pretty amazing. And, and she defies age. She got up at that Dallas Cowboys game in, in a cheerleader outfit. Mostly she just wants to make sure that you're on brand. It's two characters and one of them is Dolly Parton. And so we don't want to put words in her mouth. Right. A lot of stuff I've taken from things I know she said and applied them. But then there's lots of other stuff that I wrote recently that she liked. She's been terrific all the way along. Have you done any acting recently or appearances? Appearances, yeah, I do. I've done a lot of benefits. I haven't done, I haven't, I'm writing something for myself to do. That'll be the next, once this, the dust clears. So I haven't done too much except that I do a lot of benefits RS. I may direct your call. Please state your name, your disease. <laughs> I'm there for you. I hope we can talk again when your book comes out because I can't wait to read that. It sounds fantastic. Me too. I hope so too. That'll be fun. Great. Thank you so much, Bruce. This is always great talking with you.
Someone 